Queer Rights Sessions, QWS Podcast, in partnership with Blarney Books and Art in Port Ferry. I'm your host, Rob, aka RWR McDonald, and this is a Words and Nerds spin-off series. Thanks, Danny! I'm coming to you from the land of the Wurundjeri people, and I'd like to pay my respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. Each month, QWS Podcast will bring you reviews, shout-outs of LGBTIQA plus writers, and feature an interview with a queer writer from our rainbow communities. And now on with the show. Luke Rutledge has worked as a communications specialist since 2014. He studied journalism and professional writing, editing and publishing at the Queensland University of Technology. Before that, he studied music at the Queensland Conservatorium of Music where he majored in classical flute. He lives in Brisbane with his fiance and their West Highland Terrier, Rufus. A man and his pride is Luke's debut novel. Welcome to the show, Luke. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Oh, absolute pleasure. And congratulations on uh, your book. I absolutely loved it. So I'll be asking you. you some questions about that uh, mm-hmm. in a little bit. But first, Luke, we have an opening question, which we ask all our guests which is how has your work influenced your identity? Yeah, so I I knew you were going to ask me this question and I have to say I was initially a bit stumped by it because I've only ever really thought about how my um, identity influences my my writing. It's it's quite obvious, really. I've written a story about a gay man. Um, But I guess the two things are quite interchangeable, really, when you think about it. You know, I think after I came out in my early 20s, and eventually I, you know, I met my now partner and sort of settled down into life a little bit more, I guess you could say. That's when I sort of got the itch to start writing again. And for a, a few years, I was writing about the experiences that I had gone through, I suppose, with coming out. So I was writing quite a few sort of coming out stories. And I guess now that I look back at it, it was me processing that mental space that I was in during all those years of being in denial and then eventually, you know, getting to the point where I was able to come out. So I guess like, you know, by writing, coming out stories, I was essentially, you know, making sense of my own experiences and and trying to understand what I'd gone through. And so I think, you know, all of that probably does have an impact on your identity in some way. Um, f- for me, writing is a form of therapy. It's it's a way of making sense of the world. And, you know, it's, it's a way of working out um, what you actually think about certain things so there's just something freeing and therapeutic about fictionalizing your own personal experiences or you know things that you've heard or seen I think that you know it feels like you're getting something off your chest and it helps clarify certain things in your head so I'm not sure if I've really answered your question but um, no that's a wonderful (laughs) yeah no thank you and yeah there is that thing with when you're also writing a novel and you get to whatever it is, 70,000 or 80,000 words where you, because, you know, you're obviously tapping into your subconscious that you get all these um, patterns or things that you hadn't really realised yeah. that was what you were writing. Did you have that experience with um, A Man and His Pride? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I set out to write a story that, you know, would be about a man who was on a journey to finding his pride. But as you say, it's it's not till you get to the end of that first draft, hopefully, that you can then look back and see what it is that you've actually 
produce. So up until that point, you are kind of flailing around in the dark and just trusting the process and hoping that that it all works out. Yeah. Uh, as I mentioned before, I absolutely love a man in his pride and I'm going to read the blurb for our listeners. Sometimes life can be hard until the right person shows you the way. Coming out has been the central focus of the books we read and the movies we watch over and over. But what comes after the coming out? In this novel, Rutledge addresses the idea of how internalized homophobia continues well into adulthood and how shame can manifest long after you come out. Set in Brisbane during Australia's 2017 same-sex marriage plebiscite, a Man and His Pride is an exuberant and deeply moving story that celebrates some of the many ways to be gay and shows that finding your pride is a journey, one you cannot take alone. Sean's job as an online troll moderator is testing his mental health. His best friend and former girlfriend still resents him for coming out. His mother seems to blame him for a tragedy that tore their family apart and his relationship with an 87-year-old nursing home resident pushes his identity crisis to the brink. All until he meets William, an unlikely friendship blossoms and Sean sets out on a path towards forgiveness, self-discovery, self-love and pride. It's just such a great read and uh, I loved all the representations of um, all the gays of our lives. Uh, <laughs> I like and, that of our lives. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's just wonderful. And it, it's that thing, I think. When you read a book where you see yourself and your community reflected, you realize how much you don't see that. And I just, yeah, I, I love the characters. It's funny. Uh, it's moving. I also found it, I, I felt like uh, you were being subversive with the, I think, the reader's expectation because we start off, and I'm no spoilers, but we start off a relationship's ending, and you know it feels it feels familiar. This this story almost like a you know like a comedy in a way, but you're subverting that, and yeah, I love that. So I guess where did the idea come from for you for these characters and the storyline? Mm -hmm. Um, I think, you know, setting out to write this story, I I knew that I wanted to write a story about a man who was gay and for it to revolve around his sexuality in, in some way. But I, I didn't want to write another coming out story. I, yeah. I feel like there are a lot of coming out stories out there today, particularly for young adult readers, which is wonderful. It's, it's a great yeah. thing. Um, but I felt like I didn't really have anything more to, to add to that. So then I sort of thought about, well, you know, what comes next, what happens after the coming out, which I think is something that isn't explored as much in books and, and movies and TV shows. Um, but of course, you know, coming out is not just a single one-off event that happens in, in isolation. It's a whole journey that queer people go on and it's a journey to find your pride essentially. And I think it's at that point where you do start to process and untangle some of the shame that you may have internalised particularly if you've spent a period of your life living in the closet. So, you know, I was interested in exploring this grey area between being in the closet and being out and proud, and it's that sort of messy middle point where, you know, I think a lot of the growth actually happens. Um, but in terms of also the story itself and the characters, well, one thing that did actually happen that um, made its way into the book, not to me but to my partner, I heard a story from one of his friends who told me that when he was in his early 20s, 
his boyfriend at the time um, did arrive at his apartment with a hickey on his neck and it wasn't his. I did, he didn't he didn't make that hickey. Um, so that was his way of breaking up with him, which is just so brutal. And for anyone who's read the book will know that's how the story opens. Um, yeah. Sean's boyfriend of three months rocks up at, at home with a fresh hickey on his neck and, and breaks up with him. And when I heard that, that that had happened to my partner, I mean, initially I was just like, oh, my heart went out to him because it's such a horrible thing. But but then I thought, oh, that'd make an interesting <laughs> book, and got it. I'm going to take that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the, kind of where the story came from. Yeah. The the writer and you took over and sort of thought, oh yeah, I'll square all that away. Um, and I loved how you know there's the apps and gay men's relationship, for want of a better word, uh, with commitment some mm-hmm. some game in I think you you captured all that beautifully and it was it's such a part of our world as well and I think what I liked is it felt really authentic and honest of gay life right um yeah yeah and I I guess I wanted to portray the gay dating scene in a more realistic maybe less sanitized way than we're used to seeing particularly in the mainstream you know movies and stuff yeah because of course you know it's it's not all rainbows and partying and dancing and having a good time it it can be those things and and often it is but there is another side to it and because of course you know when you're when you're talking about a marginalized community that is made up of people who have gone through their own traumas and and in many cases rejection you know, I think that that does find its way into the culture of a community. So, you know, for example, I, I think there's a lot of emphasis on body image in the gay community. This this obsession with um, what you look like and having that all-important body, um, which is very much shown throughout much of this book, he's quite superficial. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of toxic masculinity in the gay community. I've I've met gay men who don't want to have anything to do with you if, if you sound flamboyant or effeminate or whatever you know because that taps into their own shame doesn't it and then of course you know that there is this um more promiscuous maybe nature of you know specifically the the grinder scene and look I'm I'm not here to cast any judgments I think grinder has its place and it's a very important tool for gay men to be able to make those connections if they want to and and explore themselves but I think like any tool, it can be abused. And, and if that's the only way that you are meeting people and, and making connections in this very sort of fleeting way, then perhaps that is not the healthiest <laughs> the healthiest thing. So, you know, I wanted to explore some of those things. There was nothing in particular about all that that I was trying to say. I just wanted to show a more realistic portrayal of all of that in the story. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's that's definitely how it, it comes across. Um, so, dear listeners, please uh, please read the book. It is really enjoyable. The, the way that you've done it, it, yeah. There's certainly it's no there's no preaching or there's no nothing like that. It's just it's it's an honest kind of user mm. experience of of what it's like for us gay men using those apps. And I'd say you know um, within that you yeah you've got the some of the uh, body obsession, you know, there's racism, there's all kinds of things going on on that app. And also this, um, I guess, search for intimacy where for some gay men it is trying to find that, but then 
you know, the other person is actually uh, looking for sex and, you know, we're obviously sex positive, but um, yeah, so you kind of got this mismatch of intentions and all of that going on. And I think the way that you capture it and, and obviously with beautiful William um, and his putting his heart out there and you're just thinking, oh, no, how's that going to go <laughs> on Grinder? Yeah. Um, and, and I hope I hope it's enjoyable as well. Like I I, I yeah, set out absolutely. to write a story that would be entertaining more than anything. I mean, it does it does address some serious issues around internalized shame in particular, and and trauma. But I I didn't want it to be a heavy read. I mean, I I, I sort of thought a lot about with gay literature these days. There seems to be a lot for young adult readers, which tend to be often very um, affirming and, and positive, which is wonderful. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have these more literary novels that tend to be quite heavy and, um, you know, often can leave you feeling quite depressed. Uh, yeah. One of my favourite novels is A Little Life by Hanya Hanagahara, which is, you know, just a gorgeous novel, but God, it leaves you feeling, <laughs> just, it just breaks you. Like, it's, it's, I was so depressed after that book. Um, and so there's there's not a lot, particularly in the Australian market, for the middle, for that more kind of mainstream commercial space. I think we're seeing more of that internationally, this uplit, queer uplit kind of for, for adults. Um, but so I, I did sort of d- quite deliberately set out to write something that would I guess appeal to not just gay readers but everybody else as well because I think it's so important to get those stories into the mainstream. Oh, could not agree more. And it is. It's refreshing and it's it's super enjoyable. I, like, read it almost in one sitting because it's, you know, oh. the characters are so engaging and it's, it's that it also feels like that slice of life. Like, you're sort of, you know, for people who are not, you know, so aware of day-to-day gay men life um this is a really great sort of view into that but also with some beautiful positive messaging i reckon around you know self self love and friendship and and acceptance uh also felt cinematic I, like i would love to see this on the screen one day and um, that would be amazing so oh, would i that'd be nice wouldn't it definitely <laughs> <laughs> and um and so the the choice around um, setting it with the same-sex marriage plebiscite, mm-hmm. um, so that resonated a lot with me. It took me straight back to, to those days. Yeah, was that a, when you came up with the story, did you think, okay, this is the time period I want to set it in? Because it, it plays beautifully with what's going on, obviously, for Sean internally. It does, yes. I can now see that, having written it. Um, <laughs> I wasn't aware of that so much at the time. So, yeah. so the, the idea to set it during the, the marriage equality campaign was just this idea that came to me in the shower one one day. And I, I hadn't started writing it yet, but I had been planning it for a couple of weeks. And honestly, it it just seemed like a good idea. And, and once I made that decision to set it during that time, the story did come to me a lot easier. It, it sort of created this natural structure to the story and I sort of could see where it was going to end Uh, you know and looking back now I I can see how setting it during what was a very turbulent time in Australia's you know fight for equality does fit in quite well with um, Sean's internal journey that he goes on to find his pride but um, you know I wish I had a more intellectual answer to give you of no no. 
do it, but it just seemed like a good idea at the time. And and obviously it's a period that we all remember very well. Um, I hadn't really come across any other books or stories that um, were set during that time. Um, that's not to say there aren't any out there, but I just am not aware of them. So, yeah, just I was interested in exploring, um, particularly in Brisbane where I live, setting at a time that most people would remember, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. And it just it was such a great vehicle for, you know, um, all the people, all the characters in um, Sean's life to, you know, everyone had an opinion, everyone, you know, you were finding out about people's friends and relatives who were voting no and, you know, it was all of that. So, no, it was it was great. Um, Philip Viskin, uh, he set a book within the marriage plebiscite. That was a, a couple of years ago. It's more of a sort of domestic thriller. But, yes, no, yours is the, that's, that's the only other um, queer book that I've read where you've, you've got that time. And so for you, um, there's the phone banking. Were you involved with that? Yeah, there is a scene in the book where Sean um, attends a phone banking event, which is essentially just where you make cold calls to members of the public. Yeah. Uh, and those calls were all about um, tr- just trying to convince people to return their ballot. They weren't persuasive calls. Um, and, yeah, so I, I did do that during the campaign and a lot of the conversations that I had with people um, did find their way into the book. And the right. two that, that stand out, really, it was an eye-opening experience for me. Mm. Uh, living here in Brisbane, it's a bit of a bubble. It's a progressive city. You never, you never really come across people that are homophobic really walking down the street you can be quite comfortable um just being yourself and know that no one's going to say anything so it is a bit of a bubble but yeah the two conversations that stood out were kind of on polar opposite ends of the spectrum one was this older man who said to me I just think it's disgusting what you people are doing and and how dare you bother me you know with this phone call and you know blah 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 um (laughs) so that was um you know a little bit confronting I guess um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, I spoke to this woman who got quite emotional talking to me um, and she was, you know, saying how she just thought it was awful what we were putting the queer community through um, and, you know, she worried about what her son would be hearing and and she, back in the day, she worked um, on Oxford Street as a drag queen makeup artist. So I, I put that in the book. Yeah. <laughs> Something that I just made up. So, yeah, yeah, it was a, I think the campaign... Oh God, it was a it was a very tense time, wasn't it? Because you know, not not because there was this danger of uh, we we all knew that the majority of Australians supported marriage equality. It was never a campaign to convince people that that debate had sort of already been going on for many many years, and I think had already been won. But it was a campaign just to turn out the vote and make sure that enough people could be bothered, and that was really the strategy of the no campaign was to you know that enough people would be apathetic and just think oh well we've got this in the bag we don't need to worry about participating so it's a very very tense time yeah. um, that that's kind of what I remember from it really yeah absolutely and the skywriting no and just yeah. yeah and but you captured also the the beautiful thing which was the all the support from the um, wider community with rainbow flags and, you know, rainbow. Mm. Um, I remember rainbow chalk drawings on footpaths and, you know, seeing it in shops and people's homes and it was amazing just feeling that love from the, you know, wider community. 
Um, but I do remember when um, the results that, you know, how they were televised and they were going to be saying. And so mm-hmm. I'm part of a rainbow family. We were all together with my, uh, well, with our two children who I think might have been eight or nine, something like that. And just I remember sitting there thinking, how am I going to explain to them if the answer is no? Um, um, Obviously, the results were really good, so that was great. But, yeah, it was an incredibly tense time. Um, Yeah. And now we're going through it again, aren't we, with the the voice to parliament referendum? Yeah, yeah. And also I feel like whatever we can do to support the trans community at this time as well because they are being used oh, as political, political footballers. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's sort of, it's still a lot to to yeah. do. But, uh, but I think for me as well, I'll just add, add like during the campaign, like by that stage I had been out for many years and so I had reached a point personally where I was quite proud to be gay. And so I, you know, I did hear a lot of the negative rhetoric that was, going on in the media and stuff and all those awful things but I was lucky enough or privileged enough I guess to be able to just sort of brush all of that off and and not internalize that too much but of course for many people that that probably wasn't the case you know if you were from a family that where it wasn't acceptable to talk about it or yeah. you know you might be questioning your sexuality I think it was a very damaging campaign for a lot of particularly young queer people um, and I do remember talking to um, a friend at the time who who worked at Lifeline and she told me how they had noticed a definite spike in the number of young people who were calling in distressed about some of the things that they were hearing. And right. so you know, it was a it was a um, campaign that just didn't need to happen, I think, and we just didn't need to pull oh. our community through that. It's, that's the tragedy of it all. Yeah. Absolutely. And you had the, you know, all of us in the queer community saying, spend that 24 million on you know homelessness or you know actually people in need and just do your job in the parliament and just legislate like yeah it was exactly yeah yeah what is your hope luke for a man and his pride now being out in the world what what's your hope for this book i think more than anything i i hope that people will find it to be an uplifting and ultimately hopeful story that they can enjoy as just a piece of entertainment. Like that is really what I, what I want, what I set out to do, but just, you know, I guess returning to what I was talking about before about this gray area between being in the closet and being out and proud, you know, I think perhaps a lot of people haven't really thought about that a lot before. And I think pride is something that most people take for granted um, because it's not ever something that, you have to find um i think it is something that is particularly unique to the queer community and and other minorities so i would like to think that people reading it might it might just open their minds a little bit and them come away from the story with a deeper understanding and appreciation of of what it means to find your pride and also for for queer readers reading the book i mean i i would hope that some of them might see their own experiences reflected in the story um and because you know there's really nothing more important than seeing your own um experiences in the stories that you read and watch in in shows and stuff it's it's how you how you know that you're not alone in in your experiences and it just normalizes your life as well yeah yeah beautifully beautifully put 
And that's a that's a fantastic hope. Go out there and buy it. Um, <laughs> the, question, <laughs> the question we ask all our guests is a writing question, which is around any advice or top tips for aspiring writers or storytellers out there. I think my top tip would just be do whatever you can to just get to the end of that first draft. Um, it's so important to finish what you start. Like you can't edit a blank page. But more than that, um, go into that first draft with the the expectation that it's probably not going to be what you had initially hoped or what you, you thought it would be. Um, I am a writer who suffers a lot from self-doubt and imposter syndrome. but um, And often, you know, you get to the end of that first draft and you read it back and you realise, well, me personally, I got to the end of the first draft of Humanity's Pride and realised it was terrible and you just become aware of you've got a lot more work to do, basically. But if you tell yourself no first draft is going to be very good, yeah. it's just a process of figuring out the story and what it is that you're trying to say, I think that that takes a lot of the pressure off and will help you deal with that self-doubt that will inevitably come and which is just part of the process, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, that's excellent advice. And now we have Joe, our book reviewer from Blarney Books and Art in Port Ferry. Hi, Joe. Hello, Rob. And uh, what author do you have for us today? Well, today um, I have State of Origin by David Owen Kelly. It's mm-hmm. a bit of an older book. Um, well, not not that old. It was it came out just before COVID, so 2019. Because of COVID, David's probably missed out on some publicity opportunities. So I thought it might be good to, to revisit this one. And David Owen Kelly, born in Queensland, was adopted into a family and was adopted along with three other children. And then there were three more that were fostered. So he's got a really interesting family situation, which is quite tragic in the end. But the two of the fostered children are Indigenous kids and their trajectory as black fostered children compared to David's and his adopted siblings trajectory is completely different. And it's a really telling about their life. Yeah. Wow. David's also, you know, discovering that he's queer growing up in Queensland, his parents separate and they end up with a kind of an evil stepfather, a pretty tragic story. There's abuse of all kinds, physical and sexual abuse. They find out later. Big theme in the story is adoption and finding family and building family. You know, I think in our preliminary chat, you mentioned found family. Mm. And there's a lot of that in this book. But it's really, really beautiful. And so it's told, uh, so David's written it, obviously. And so is it memoir? Yeah, Yeah, it's memoir. And David is a very good friend of Helen Garner's. And Helen Garner and David actually came to Blarney Books uh, and spoke about writing memoir to each other. And it was a really wonderful uh, event. And it is on Blarney Books YouTube if anyone's interested. But um, this this book is an incredible read. And for anyone who's adopted, it's it's got all the little bits and pieces that people who are not adopted wouldn't maybe pick up on. Uh, You know, the way adopted kids cling to any crumb that they're offered as far as their beginnings you know, so his mother tells him at some point that there was an interesting fact surrounding his birth. So he takes that on and thinks, oh, I'm the child of a movie star. 
Mm. And so he starts yeah. researching who came to Australia in, in, <laughs> in the year he was born. Yeah. And he has all these fantasies and a, a lot of adoptees have fantasies, obviously, about their natural parents and they're always princes or princesses or yeah. <laughs> yeah. amazing people that you, you couldn't have a baby. Yeah. Yeah. He left Queensland in 1985 because in that year a law was brought in where publicans couldn't serve drinks to deviants, homosexuals. Boo. So, so he moved to Newcastle or he moved to New South Wales and I think now he's in Newcastle. Yes. So and his mother, like his adoptive mother also went on so they had three foster kids, three adopted kids, three brothers to the mother's new boyfriend and then they went and had twins on top of that so incredible ah. you know incredibly complex story yes um, but there's a lot of heart in it it's really beautiful oh it sounds really interesting so state of origin david owen kelly terrific i remembered it and i didn't have a pen oh <laughs> There was a lovely little quote in the book I wanted to read. Um, oh, please, yeah. His mum announces a pregnancy with twins, and he says, I'm terrified she'll discover I'm nothing but a cubic zirconia because the true diamonds are in her belly. Oh, <laughs> it's oh kind of, wow. Yeah. So it grabs you in all the uh, yeah. soft bits. Yeah, mm. that sounds fantastic. Thank you. My pleasure. State of origin, David Owen Kelly. Thanks, Joe. We'll talk Thank to you, you. Rob next episode awesome now on the show we also have a shout out question how can listeners connect with you on socials book events mm -hmm. uh i'm on facebook and instagram um at lukerutledge.writer and or you can reach out to me via my website with a contact form uh it's just lukerutledge.net yeah, that's probably the main way, social media and my website, yeah. Great. And I'll put those uh, up on the show notes. And also any LGBTIQA plus artists, books, art shows, organisations, social media accounts that you would like to shout out. I've just been watching a TV show on Netflix called Smiley, which is a Spanish mm. um, queer show. And I guess it's dealing a lot with the similar issues as my book. Um, it's, it's also set on the grinder scene um and it's about um it's sort of an opposites attracting kind of romance i suppose it sort of delves into some of those issues we were talking about before with the grinder hookup culture so that that's a really good show i haven't finished it yet but it's um it's on netflix and then i'm nearly finished a book called when you call my name by tucker shaw um so not to be to be mistaken with call me by your name <laughs> So it's when when you call my name, um, and it's uh, it's a YA sort of coming of age story set in New York during 1990s. So it it is set during the AIDS um, epidemic, and but but it's it's a really good read actually. I would recommend that to anybody. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you. And our closing question for you, Luke Rutledge, is what is your hope for the LGBTIQA plus communities? I think visibility is such a big thing, especially today. I, I think we're sort of living in a time where we've got the best of both worlds, really, where in Australia, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that the majority of the population do support uh, gay rights. Um, obviously, there are pockets where that is not the case, but the vast majority of people, I think, 
you know, do support LGBT rights. So, and, and then on the other hand, where we're also living in a time where we are seeing more and more of our own queer stories making their way into the mainstream, you know, with shows like Heartstopper and Love, Simon, all those sorts of, you know, really affirming stories. So I think having a combination of those two things is so important. And I have a lot of hope for young queer people today who are no doubt watching these shows and reading these books and internalising those those messages. So, yeah. Beautiful. Thanks, Luke. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so good to talk to you. Please check out our show notes on Words and Nerds, Blarney Books and Art and rwrmcdonald.com for links, reviews and the interview transcript. Until next time, this is QWS Podcast.